what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. I am Alan. This is Chris. Hello. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Good. You know, I got my big bucket of popcorn, my like depth charge size drink. I'm ready nice. to... Talk about movies. Awesome. Uh, we're looking forward to it as well. This is Foot Candle Films. This is the Mesh's show for movie reviews and discussion, as always. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. So yes. what we're going to do is we're going to have two main movie reviews. We're going to be discussing the Will and Jaden Smith science fiction epic, After Earth, as well as the latest Robert Redford thriller, The Company You Keep. Plus, we're going to have some movie news. Chris is going to talk about some other films he's seen recently. And, of course, we're going to cap it off with our online film recommendations like we do every episode of film that we think you ought to check out. Maybe an overlooked film, one maybe you haven't seen in a while that you should be able to see at home on your own free time. All this on this episode of Foot Candle Films. Chris, let's start off with our reviews. Very first thing. It's okay with you? Oh, yeah. Good. Let's go right into our first one. This is going to be the latest from filmmaker M. Night Shyamalan and leading man Will Smith. The science fiction film After Earth. Crash landed. Two confirmed survivors. Do you know where we are? No, sir. This is Earth. There's an emergency beacon in the tail section of our ship. Approximately 100 kilometers from here. We need to retrieve that beacon. What are we going to die? Everything has evolved to kill humans. Together, we will survive. What is a summer movie season without a Will Smith vehicle? His past efforts, they include Independence Day, Men in Black, Wild Wild West, I Am Legend, Hancock... This year's entry, the science fiction tale After Earth. Smith, he plays Cypher Rage, a general in a futuristic military who's claimed <laughs> Sorry, the name. I, I just I love that name. Cypher Rage. Cypher Rage. Yes. Got it, it is spelled R-A-I-G-E, but yeah, still. Sure. Cypher Rage. Yes. He's a general in a futuristic military who's claimed to fame as he learned how to combat the evil Skrell Empire by developing a technique called ghosting, which combats their big major weapon they were using against the humans, Beast called Ursa, okay? I'm with right. you. You got that? Got yep, that so far? I'm following okay. you, sure. Okay, he's, you know, been doing this for a while. He's like kind of a big shot, but he's decided he's going to retire. But before he retires, he's going to take one last mission or one, go on one last trip, of course. Mm-hmm. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to take my son, Katai, who is played by Jaden Smith. And Will I'm Smith's gonna, real, Will real Smith's son. Will Smith's real son. Yes. And I'm going to try to have some bonding time sure. with him. Well, unfortunately... You know, things go awry as the ship's making its journey, and they crash. And the family unit, the troubled family unit, estranged family unit, has to work together to survive this crash. Now, Alan, we've 
not typical. We've discussed this a little bit off mic, which isn't normally. We usually try to keep everything. Yeah, I still feel bad about that, that we talked about it a little bit off mic, but it's okay. I think we still have some opinions to share here. But what I'm going to throw out is I want us to start our review with the, what I'm going to call the thumper of Bambi Fame's challenge. Okay. Okay. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, or rather save it for the end of the review. So my challenge to you right off the bat is what are some things you liked about After Earth. All right, let me go through my extenuous notes, flipping through all my pages, because I've got plenty to talk about here. Let's see. I'm going to find... Hold on. I almost got it. Okay, I got it. I got it. I do have one item Okay. I liked about the film. Okay. I did like the overall premise. Okay. Now, I'm going to be very broad with that term premise, sure. but what I'm really focusing on is this whole idea of a father having to guide his son Hmm. remotely through a dangerous and precarious situation while instilling him with confidence, but also them having some friction. That premise I really liked Mm -hmm. and I'm done. You're done. (laughs) Okay. Likewise, I'm kind of limited in my praise of the film, but Mm -hmm. I knowing how I was going to set up. I do. I did make some notes to try to like emphasize them because you know, we don't, we don't do this podcast just to tear films down. You and I both enjoy film. We like to talk about how much we like film, but this particular film was kind of a struggle. So yes. I'm going to try to comment on some things that I particularly liked and okay. see you know, how you I'm, feel about it. I'm interested in hearing these. <laughs> um, <laughs> the way that they showed technology in this film, specifically the way they showed like how they they didn't show a spaceship being built okay but the some of the structures about the spaceship i thought was really interesting because it was not something typical like you see in a star wars movie or a star trek movie the way the ships were fabricated i think um just i guess to try to say the production design of this movie i thought was really interesting in that it had kind of a had its own unique vision kind of of how ships would look and how they would be constructed there was like this hexagonal shape to the way the hulls of the ship were formed almost like it looked like honeycomb or something like that and i was like huh and it was translucent sometimes depending on how you touched it paper right or something (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not sure what but and they didn't bother explaining (laughs) it but i thought that was I don't it, know. I thought it was interesting, and I was like, "Okay, cheers to you for having this unique vision of how technology okay. and structures, and maybe it's because they're very lightweight and they can fly through space and they don't take a lot of energy." It was or, a different yeah, approach. It was a different vision, and you know, when when we are faced with a lot of sci-fi movies that come out and they're all basically look like Blade Runner. Right. I mean, it exactly. was. I guess. Yeah, I see your point. It was. It was refreshing to see something with a little bit of a different visual Just style to it. Completely different. Okay. And Good. even the doorways, the way um, the ships. It was like a. It reminded me of like a membrane over like a insect's eyelid or something. The way they would open and shut. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I just found that very interesting and unique there again not just a simple metal hatch door that opens you know it was just okay it was unique i thought that was unique that was um, that was a nice one to (laughs) pull out okay good okay um next up i will say the special effects and not necessarily the ones of the creature but the ones that are just a lighter more delicate touch and one of the thing the thing i'm specifically referencing is the planet they crash land on no secret it is earth okay the <gasps> movie is after earth i know sorry spoiler <laughs> but one of the things that happens on the planet is that basically as night falls it shifts into being really really cold kind of like it enters an ice age every night and at one point you know jaden smith because he's having to make a 
journey across this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to go through one of these nights. And as he's walking, you see a very subtle, it like slowly, the trees slowly begin to frost and everything. Mm-hmm. And it slowly like catches up to him. I really liked. It was almost like looked. the wind was chasing him in a way. <laughs> wow. Okay. I Sorry. Wouldn't, would have said that. Uh, he's referencing <laughs> the happening for those of you that may have seen that movie, but probably not many people do because it didn't do very well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, it was an interesting touch. It just as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's just like when he's okay. chasing after the wind in well, the last. I like the way it was like yeah. it was a use of CG. You okay. know, CGI, obviously, because you couldn't make it suddenly turn winter outside. But sure. I, I thought that was. I thought that was unique. Last thing I'll say, mm-hmm. um, and this is where we start to go down the slope of into negatives because sure. it's like starts off as a compliment, but then it's like, oh man, I like the way the film started off. You know, the opening it shows, and it was like immediately you can tell something's going wrong. They're in a ship hole. You see Will Smith in the sun. Oh right, right. Man. I know what you're, you're talking like, about. Oh wow, it's okay. like a quick flash. They're just going to throw yeah. you right into, hey, stuff's going wrong. We're going to crash. Yeah. And then they flash back, yeah. and you see you have narration. Okay, and here's the negative. <laughs> and you yeah. have and we're Jade here. <laughs> Smith talking. I think it's Jaden, not Will Smith, talking at this point because it's about his Who dad. Knows? Yeah. And they go into this really convoluted. Oh, we're on this planet now because Earth did this, and by all yeah. this narration, and it really was too hand holding, and I didn't need it. And they kind of set up. They talk about the creatures, the Ursas that are Mm. bad and how they're actually blind, but what they can sense is fear. And with that, there was kind of like this dun-dun-dun foreshadowing. I'm like, okay, I think I know where this movie is going Mm. to go. And sure enough, yes, it it went there. It absolutely (laughs) went there. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's your positives. Those, those are my positives. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll see those. I, I think it's okay. Let, let's go ahead and talk about what just didn't work in this sure. film. Cause this, and keep in mind, we do have somewhat of a time limit on this sure. podcast so recording. Go so let's just be, <laughs> let's be conscious of but that I, as we go I think, along. I think that's part of what we want to do here at foot candle films is we can, we're not just going to say a film's bad. No, we want to no. say I, why it didn't work and kind of, we're not just going to say, Oh, we, we thought that film stuck. Yeah. Like we have to justify why. Absolutely. And I, so, and like I said, I thought the premise itself was interesting. When I read the synopsis of the film and I actually saw some moments of the father son dynamic, you know, yeah, it, the premise worked for me. Sure. But let's just be honest here. Okay. Jaden Smith, not an actor. No. True. I mean, and I, unfortunately, I didn't see Pursuit of Happiness. I did. But he was he was so young was in that movie that it was kind of like you just kind of discount him as a kid actor. He's old enough now that if he's going to be an actor, it's he's time. got some ways to go. And I didn't see the Karate Kid remake either. I didn't either. So, but, but this you, film just highlighted that he, he doesn't quite have his father's acting chops. And I like... Will Smith as an actor. Okay. I know he's got the chops. You know, granted, right. people always reference, which I'm going to as well, one of the first things he was in, Six Degrees of Separation. Yeah. He was amazing. He was good. He was also good in Ali. You know, his serious films, he, he's shown he can act. Yes, he definitely yeah. can act. Now, this would not be one of the films I would put in his highlight reel for Oscar nominations in the future or anything. I don't think he does stoic very well. And no. he was meant to be, he was extremely, like, this is a stoic role. This is a, I, I don't take any crap from anybody. I'm extremely gruff. I don't show compassion. I don't show love. I understand the character. Right. Will Smith was not a good fit for it. He doesn't do stoic very well. I, I agree. I don't think he was a good fit. He was kind of miscast, even though yeah. apparently he's the one he's credited with coming up he with the He did come story. up with the story. Yes. And then he kind of threw it over to M. Night Shyamalan to direct and come up with the script. Yeah. 
So, but I, I agree. I think he was, I guess, miscast. miscast. I don't think Will Smith was bad in the movie. It's no. just, I didn't care about his character. He could not portray to me the kind of strength of a character that I needed to see in this guy. So right. the kid did not work at all for me, even to the point where even sometimes his speech was hard to understand. It was almost a weird... Like slurring. Of yes, stuff. Yeah. exactly. And it was very difficult to understand him sometimes. And I don't think that was intentional. I think that was just him as an actor. Right. He had his one big emotional outburst scene in about the middle of the movie with his father over the remote uh, conversations. And it, it didn't work. Yeah. It just was not good. And I'm sorry, when you've got so much of the film resting on how this kid performs and how this kid acts in these situations. Uh, and then you've got your Will Smith character that just was completely miscast right away. That's going to hurt your whole film. This is a two person film. Absolutely. I mean, other than the first 15 minutes and a few choice flashbacks, that's it. It's it. So you really have to make sure these two people are right for these roles. And I'm sorry they weren't. And as Will Smith shown, he's a good actor and he has done a movie. I am legend that I referenced in the intro where it was basically just him and, and he had to fine. carry the whole film and he could completely do it. Yep. And but even so, in that movie, it depended on him having a little bit of charm. You know, he had to have right. some elements of charm, even Absolutely. though he was the serious action hero, there were still some charming aspects of his character. And this one, there's meant to be no charm. And I'm sorry, it just doesn't work with, with Will Smith. And I think as well, which was surprising to me, he had no character arc. So he had True. nothing to, yes, he was supposed to be the gruff military persona and be the, you know, stern father, but he never came to see his son as anything. He didn't change. He started one way. He ended the exact same way. He had no development whatsoever. Okay. And so he didn't do a lot with it, I guess, because he couldn't. Whereas mm. his son, unfortunately, he had a big arc to do being this scared, you know, don't have a good relationship with my father where, you know, he's supposed to develop. And at the end he is able to ghost properly and do all these things. And he, he doesn't really show it's like he's kind of whiny and complaining and yeah. a weak character. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, yep. Now I know how I'm doing. And yeah. It was, was no not earned at all. There. No, yeah, that was so. definitely not. Well, let's, let's talk about, like you mentioned the ghosting and all this, this concept that was really blasted through in this expository narration at the beginning that you mentioned, where it's like, okay, here's what the deal is. We're here and this is happening and ghosting is mentioned, but it, it didn't click in for me. I still, for the most part of the film, didn't really understand what ghosting was all about. So you get to the end of the film, the big climax, and it's another one of those M night Shyamalan devices where he hinges. I almost think when this guy creates a movie, he hinges everything on the film on what's going to happen in this one key climactic scene. Hmm. Think about that. Six cents. Everything builds to the big reveal for Bruce Willis. Unbreakable. It all builds to this final confrontation. Right. Signs. Everything builds to this uh, alien encounter at the end of the film. Sure. The village. Everything builds to this big reveal. Lady in the water. It builds all to this big climax at this apartment complex at a party or whatever. Everything builds to the Last one scene. Last Airbender? Oh, wait. Oh, I never saw that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like everything has that one scene that I almost get the impression that's, that's all he focuses on hmm. is how do I get to that one scene that everybody stands up and cheers for? Unfortunately, his last few films, people aren't standing up and cheering for it. Absolutely. So you got this alien encounter at the end where it's like this big fight with this, what is it called again? Ursa, Ursa. something. And so Jaden Smith has to use this ghosting technique, which the problem for me was I still didn't really understand what ghosting was. So the whole impact of what's happening in this final scene was just completely blurred. And it just, 
it did not get that emotional impact that I know they were shooting for in this climactic scene. And you kind of never had a work. doubt as to how it's going to turn out. Oh, no. Out. You totally knew how it was going to end. Right. So all that, I just, it was a very clunky movie. I'll give this as a little bit of a side positive in that it was almost bad enough to be humorous to watch mm. from an entertaining standpoint. Almost like, oh, wow, did they really just say that? Did they really just do that? Some of the dialogue was incredibly over the top. Dialogue and, um, and bad dialogue. Over oh, the top, no, yeah. but also very bad. And just, it just was not was written laughable. well. It was. Right. It was. It almost got to the point where you watch it as a so bad it's good type of movie gotcha. towards the end, especially the end closing climactic scene where the father and son are reunited. Yeah. It was just, oh gosh, it was painful it was to watch. A couple of other just minor things I'm going to say about it. I mean, not that I, I hold a, a film as a bad film because CGI is bad. You mentioned some of the more subtle CGI elements, mm-hmm. which I agree. I thought those were okay. But some of the key things, even at the beginning, there's a horrible keyed scene where man in a wheelchair is talking to Will Smith, and it's just, it's like he's floating in this hover wheelchair craft, and it's like so obviously keyed in and Mm. bad king. And some of the bigger landscape scenes when they're on the planet just really look extremely fake and just hard to believe. Mm. When you've already got a movie that's testing your patience, bad CGI will just accentuate that even more. Sure. And I could I could still rant about the storyline itself. I don't understand why, if they're rushing against time to get to this signal at a certain amount of time with only so much oxygen left. To be able to be rescued. Yeah. The kids seem to be taking his sweet time a lot of times, stopping and resting and doing this. <laughs> and all. I'm like, you know, all right, I know you may be a little tired, but you kind of got to keep moving. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't understand why you got to stop every seem like every few hours to do something and little things like that I, the movie was very clunky it just it was not a good movie and for a race against time you think pacing is very important things have to be happening 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 and they didn't they didn't really the pacing yeah. on this was very bad it was it was not a very well-made film the story at the core root of the story i thought was fine but unfortunately when you try to blow it out into a into a movie it just didn't work for them sure uh you know i will say i don't think this film was as bad as the happening for oh, night no. Shyamalan. no i thought that was film was absolutely horrible that's hopefully his nadir that was like his low point gotcha maybe he's creeping himself back up i don't know pulling himself out of the hole a little bit but to me that film was the worst film he had made as one of the worst films I'd seen in years. This one, not a good film at all, but at least there were a few redeeming elements. I could say, you know what? A couple elements kind of worked for me a little bit. Well, and ultimately I think it all comes down to the script mm-hmm. and I think there just should have been more there. And he had Shaman had a co-writer with him yeah. and I think there just should have been more. Cause like you say, the premise is interesting and it's like, okay, let's let's develop this. And it probably would have helped if it would have been somebody besides Jaden Smith. So, you know, yeah. but it's just, I don't know. A lot of elements just not put together very well to make this film. So sure. um, not something I can recommend at all. No, um, I mean, I saw it has a lower Rotten Tomatoes rating than the Hangover sequel. Wow. So that's kind of rough. And I mean, I, when I do my rating on Letterboxd, which, you know, I do encourage everybody to check us out on Letterboxd.com. That's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com to see what all films Chris and I are watching and see our star ratings and comment and have a discussion with us. 
I'm probably in the one and a half star range on this. I, I think, mean, unfortunately, I'm there. I can't you. really give it any more than that because uh, there was just so little things about this I really enjoyed or appreciated. So, True. all right. Well, let's see if we move on to a better film or not. Okay. That'll be the next question for us. Our next review is uh, the latest from actor-director extraordinaire Robert Redford. It is the film The Company You Keep. Former Weather Underground leader Sharon Solar, one of the longest standing fugitives on the FBI's most wanted list, was arrested yesterday, 30 years after the notorious Bank of Michigan robbery, which resulted in the death of a guard. Why now, after 30 years? Who's your best reporter? Prove it. Can I see the case file? I look at the man's history. The man doesn't exist before 1979. Fugitive Nicholas Sloan has been exposed by a reporter living as a lawyer named James Grant. Does Grant have any family? A daughter, 11. Right, so Chris, Robert Redford, when it comes to films, he's kind of the man for me. I, I, him, Paul Newman was always one of those guys. I just okay. really, I kind of grew up on their movies. I really admire them. They've got the charm. They're, they're suave. They've got the presence on screen. And then you look beyond just him as an actor. He's directed some films. Sure. He started the uh, Sundance Film Festival. He is a very strong, positive influence in the film world. Gotcha. I think nothing can be disputed on that. Uh, he has worked as a director in many films. I think it's about 10 films now is what okay. I saw. Quiz Show, which is my favorite of his show, um, films that he's made. Uh, the River Runs, Runs Through It was okay. okay. Ordinary People, kind of a classic film there. He's made some really good movies. Mm -hmm. His last few have been a little on the lacking side. Uh, the Conspirator, Lions for Lambs, even The Legend of Badger, Badger's Vance which was several years ago, Will Smith film, kind of tying in together oh, there. Oh, yeah, there we go. So anyway, here we have a film called The Company You Keep. And Robert Redford directs himself as Jim Grant, who is a lawyer with some mysterious ties to the weather underground protesters from the Vietnam War area, era. Uh, this is the group that you know, was a little more militant, a little more violent in their protests about the Vietnam War to the point where someone was actually murdered during one of their acts. And... Uh, that took place during one of their movements. When a member of the Weathermen, played by Susan Sarandon, is arrested for that murder 30 years later, it starts to open up this bigger story about, you know, Jim Grant himself, what is his connection to this Weathermen uh, protest group? And it also causes an intrepid reporter named Ben Shepard. It's played by Shia LaBeouf. Uh, he works to discover Jim's connection to the group and helps to unravel an even deeper story. The film trots out a who's who of distinguished actors, many of them on the upper end of the age scale, maybe. So safe way of saying it. Sure. Uh, Julie Christie, uh, Susan Sarandon, Nick Nolte, Chris Cooper, Stanley Tucci, Richard Jenkins, Brendan Gleeson, Sam Elliott. A lot of really, really good, strong actors there. Absolutely. But then you've also mixed them in with some little more hip, younger actors like, like LaBeouf. You've got Terrence Howard. You've got Anna Kendrick and Brett Marling. All mm -hmm. actors who are kind of on their upswing right now. Sure. So you've got this perfect blending of those who have maybe reached some of their peak on, uh, on the acting side. And you've got these up-and-coming ones. So my question to you. Do you think the younger stars opted to be involved in this film because they thought it was a good movie and something they're proud to have on their resume? Or did they probably just know it was a turkey and wanted just to work with Redford and his, his older acting buddies? Hmm. Where do you fall on this? Well, um, I, I would say I, that's kind of a hard question to answer. I, I wouldn't say that the movie's a turkey. Okay. I'll come out and say that. Um, I think they thought it was an okay movie, which is, I would agree with that. And they saw that they may have seen the cast and they wanted to work with Redford. So kind of yeah. yes to that. I kind of get the impression just 
you know, and I'll, I'll go into my thoughts in a little bit after you do, but sure. I, I kind of feel like it's more of a, you know what, we get to re- work with Robert Redford. And I think it's like one of those where kind of like uh, Woody Allen, where almost everybody kind of wants to work with him or at least say they've done a film with him sure. on their resume. Anyway, go ahead. I, I would agree. And I think because of his pedigree of having been an actor, that he turns director and does things like Ordinary People and Quiz Show, that people are into him. And yeah. I think the movie is not as strong as it could have been. True. And I think one of the things we're probably going to touch on is, you know, like you said, he was acting in it, but he was also directing it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think he was probably too old to be playing the character that he was. Agreed. And I think if he would have been able to step back and just be director, I think that would have helped push this film into maybe another... It would have helped a little bit. It would have Mm -hmm. bumped it up a couple of notches as far as like what I think of it. But I thought I was impressed that the pacing of the film, because it it hinges on being a thriller, like what's going on here? He has to kind of go on the run from the FBI. Mm. And... I don't think of Robert Redford as being a thriller director. You know, I think of him more as like a river runs through it or a quiz show uh, or the horse whisperer. He didn't direct it, but he was in it. He was in it. Right. Um, So that's what I think of him as Mm -hmm. being. And so for this to be kind of more of like a chase movie, I was a very limited chase movie. (laughs) Or the same type of chase over and over again. Um, But for the first two thirds of the film, I was impressed with how they were able to, keep the pace going and it is based on a book yeah and for it be to be based on a book i thought it would end up being very dialogue heavy because it is a political i guess of nature thriller because of the weather underground and how they were protesting and knowing that robert redford is kind of a loud mouth politically i thought it would have a lot of espousing of theories and all this kind of stuff back and forth and be very talky and actually for the most part they kind of avoided that they did and i thought that was A good strength of the film. It, it didn't. It didn't go the complete political angle on everything. I mean, yes, obviously that was involved because sure. this is talking about protests against the government's war, and there's a lot of talk about even wiretapping mm-hmm. and some some of these things that are a little more relevant even today. But overall, the film seemed to be more interested in saying, "All right, let's you know that yes, this is going on, or this is the situation, and this is what this group felt." They were more interested in the personal relationships and growth of the characters that were involved in these events so many years ago and what it's done to them and what regrets they may have versus some of them still feeling very strongly about their actions. Right. It was more about the characters involved than it was, is this right or wrong type sure. of thing, which I, I agree. I thought and that was a good. they tried to be balanced on saying, you know, on whether it was right or wrong. I thought they tried to give it as fair play as possible as the individuals were doing what they felt was right, but yet the repercussions of that, yeah. they tried to stay as balanced, I guess, as they could. Sure. Right. So, so you were okay on the film. I, I was. I okay. was. I was okay. All right. I I was probably a little less than okay. I, I don't think it was a good film. Hmm. Uh, it was not an After Earth, but it was. It had <laughs> it just a lot no of problems after. for me. Uh, but let's go back to your thumper rule, and you know, okay. hit hit the likes. You hit your likes on there. I, I will say uh, the number one thing that stood out for me, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, I I thought he was really good in this, and I'm not a fan of him in general. There's no Transformers, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, that's most of my exposure to him are sure. those movies that my kids force me to sit through. Right. I've never been really impressed with him. Oh, in the latest Indiana Jones film, it's not a fan of him in that film either. Right. Here in this film, I thought he was good. I thought he. He, he, he seemed invested in the role. I think he he was probably one of the stronger performances in many of the scenes. I would agree. That he was in. I would agree. Um, so it was good. And much like After Earth, I liked the overall story idea. Mm-hmm. This idea of these 
these these um, revolutionaries from 30 years ago that had done some things and gotten a lot of attention had been laying low for all these years. Now something has happened where they've all started to have a little bit of either conscious or maybe feeling regret or something starting to come out of the woodwork and they're all starting to get exposed. And Robert Redford's character, his connections to the group starts to become more obvious. He has to go on the run and people are trying to figure out why he's on the run and what's his end game. All of that I love. I love that concept. I just thought it was a very clunky movie put together around that story. Right. Um, so from the like standpoint, I thought the story was good. I thought Shia LaBeouf was good. That's about all I've got for the film as well. But I mean, <laughs> the story was strong enough to make me at least keep my attention through the film, even though I can't say I walked away feeling like it was done very well. Sure. I will say a couple areas I thought were some weaknesses. I think you already mentioned it too, Robert Redford. I just, he's, he still has the charm, but there really wasn't anything else for him in this film. Right. I do think the age hurt him a little bit. I mean, I just, I think he needed to be 10 to 20 years younger character wise to really make this work, not only from a, just a presence wise, but also to tie in with the storyline. If you right. start doing the math on when the Vietnam war was going on and where we are now, the years don't really add up right. with his daughters and their ages and everything right. else. And then uh, I just thought that it was kind of more of a plotting movie. There was a lot of repetition of mm. scenes and dialogues and chases. It just it could have been a little shorter, could have been a little tighter. There were a lot of characters introduced that had very, very, very minor parts. And you just wonder how much of those you really had to have in the story. And all those minor characters were interesting to me because they were minor characters, but they were big names playing them. You had sure. Brendan Gleeson playing a police officer that had a role in things. Stanley Tucci, you know, and they're big names. So they do their minor characters very well. Sure. But maybe a more. You just wonder why they're only in there for three minutes, for right. example. Chris Cooper, for example, he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. He's introduced early on. He's in there for a few minutes, and you think he's going to play a more prominent role. No, not really. He kind of does his part, and then he shows up again at the end. Uh, you know, Brendan Gleeson has just a few minutes kind of in the middle of the film or latter half of the film. Uh, Sam Elliott, you know, great actor, and again, two scenes of dialogue. And it's just, yeah, you kind of, when you, when you get to meet these characters, you kind of want to know more about them. But it's almost like they're throwing so many characters portrayed by great actors mm-hmm. that you're kind of remiss when it's like, oh, well, so now they're gone again. And, oh, here's somebody new. Oh, and they're gone again. You know, it was just, <laughs> it was almost like trotting out this who's who of big actors just to stuff the film with it and not really giving them a whole lot to do. Right. Yeah. I also just felt there was a lot of unresolved areas by the end. I think there was a little bit of confusion. Even our crowd that we watched it with last night, a lot of people had some questions about, okay, so why did this happen? And why didn't they do this? And when you start really asking those kind of questions at the end of a film, it does start to unravel a little bit for you. Sure. Um, I, you know, I, it was an admirable film. I think it was a good story to try to tell. I think for the most part, everybody involved was, was on board with it. And it wasn't, it wasn't just a walk in the park for him. It wasn't just an easy paycheck. I mean, they really wanted to try to do this film right. It's just, I mean, I don't know if maybe Redford getting himself off the camera and just behind it could have strengthened it a lot more because he could have focused more on that. But the film, from how it was put together, was just kind of a mess for me. Um, just not not anywhere as strong as it could have been given the subject matter. I guess that's a good way of summing it up. Sure. I'm, it sounds like I am a little bit more positive on the film. I will say that a, a weakness for me of the film that you haven't mentioned, but it kind of caught me and kind of irritated me was I did like Shia LaBeouf's performance and I thought he was good. His character apparently can woo women. And that irritated me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He gets some information from the FBI because of a past relationship. And I thought that was handled kind of clumsily. Yeah. And then he develops a relationship with 
the police chief's daughter, who's played by Brett Martling. And that just, to me, felt just weird and kind of forced and maybe a little contrived. So well, I, that, that aspect yeah. of me, I was like, really? And it was like, did they throw that in just so they could have a little bit of romance in the film? And I was like, eh. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And it was abandoned pretty quickly. Sure. I mean, it's like they had two scenes where you think they're going to try to take the romance angle. And then it just kind of abruptly stops. And that's the end of that. Sure. And uh, I agree. That was that was one of those things where they tried to go down a little path for a couple scenes, but they just didn't follow through. And it just felt like it was dropped and cut. Right. Um, they're basically the young daughter of Robert Redford's character is another one where you know she's very integral in the first 15, 20 minutes. It plays a key role in like kind of setting the scene for what Robert Redford's character is trying to do. But then she's gone. Most of the rest of the film shows up for this one closing scene that's meant to be kind of the nice closing emotional scene. And that was it. So there again, characters are getting dropped in and out. Not enough time for us to really care about them a whole lot. And I think that was part of the problem by the end of the film. Sure. So, yeah. Agreed. I, I, I would say if you have an interest in the weather underground movement and some of that, some of that history involved with that, there is enough of that in the film to touch on to probably keep your interest. Sure. If you want to see some good actors kind of have their few moments on the screen and uh, portray some interesting characters, you got a chance to do it with this film as well. Beyond that, I, I thought it was a slightly below average film or, or just not a very strong one. So I would, yeah. And I guess I'm a, like I said, a little bit more positive. I'd say it's not a bad film, but it's mm. not a great film. Yeah. I'm giving it probably two stars on Letterboxd. Uh, you know, it's just a little better than After Earth. Definitely more enjoyable. This is, to me, more of a wasted potential movie, I unfortunately see. for me, where I tend to rate those a little lower for me. It's like if you've got this great cast, great story, great great presence, but it just doesn't click, that's, a, that's always frustrating to watch. So. Sure. All right. Well, that's our two main reviews. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will hear Chris's take on a few, a couple other films he's seen recently. I uh, hit a couple movie news items and go move on to our online recommendations. So stay tuned for Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. This is the film review discussion show here on TheMesh.tv. Before we get back into the show, just a quick, a couple quick notes. If you're interested in seeing uh, what all we're up to as a film society, this Foot Candle Film Society is what we run here in Western North Carolina. You can learn more about the Film Society at www.footcandle.org. Footcandle.org. Learn all about upcoming screenings we have. Right now, our membership's kind of maxed out, Chris. we got about 450 members uh, that come out and see films once a month. So at least we can share through the podcast some of this discussion and other ideas about films that's open to anybody. Also, if you're interested in uh, learning a little bit more about the, this kind of show and other shows that we do on the Mesh Network, you can always visit themesh.tv. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV to go and see not only back episodes of this show, but you can also go see information on all the other shows that we produce on the Mesh Network. We've got business shows. We've got education shows. We've got music shows, sports, sports shows, everything in between. So come on to the Mesh TV 
take a look at the different shows we have available. They're all free. They're all easy to subscribe to in iTunes or on Windows mobile devices. Subscribe to the shows. Get every new episode coming your way when they when they post. And uh, go on there and post some comments or questions about any of the episodes you listen to as well. We'd love to hear your feedback. So, Chris, let's move on to the next part of our show, which is where we like to talk a little bit about some movie news and things happening. But today I figured let's do something a little different for the first little bit. Okay. Chris, you've seen couple more movies than I have in the last couple of weeks. And I feel like it'd be almost a, a missed opportunity if we at least didn't mention a couple of the films you've seen and get some quick thoughts from you on those films, sure. especially with two of them being a little on the higher profile side in recent movies that have come out. So I understand you saw Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby I recently. Tell me about that because I have not seen it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, well, um, I'm a fan of Mr. Lerman specifically because of his Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge, I agree. Um, I, I really think that's a good like film. that film. And from the teasers and the commercials I'd seen for Great Gatsby, obviously it is based on the book that was right. written by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And the cast was pretty amazing. You have Leonardo DiCaprio, Joe Edgerton, Tobey Maguire. You know, it's just all these really big names. And so... I was excited. Okay. The film was solid as far as the acting was concerned. I thought okay. the acting was, you know, was good. You thought Leonardo did a good job with it? I did. I thought he did. I thought he did a good job. The problem for me was the spectacle of the time period as it's portrayed in the trailers and everything. You think it's going to be a spectacle similar mm. to Moulin Rouge. Right. And unfortunately, it comes across being what I felt was so loyal to the book that it really doesn't give you much surprise or much to look at visually. And I feel like Baz Luhrmann, I don't know whether he reined it in because it was such a respected book and he felt like he had to be so to the letter respectful of the source material that he hmm. didn't kind of branch out for himself. Okay. All right. Um, but I thought it was, it was a, it was an okay movie. Okay. Um, movie. Yeah, it was an okay. And I wanted more, from it because I was expecting more for his dynamic flourish. I mean, Baz Luhrmann's all about spectacle. That's kind of what he's, you know, he does and he supposedly does really well. And in Moulin Rouge, I thought he did. And this movie, there is a part, you know, Jay Gatsby, who is played by DiCaprio. Mm -hmm. He is known for throwing these elaborate parties. Yeah. And so in my mind, I just, you know, thought they would have a lot of these scenes of kind of crazy shots and crazy things going on. And there was a scene of that, but it just didn't really gel with the rest of the movie. And he just, I felt like there were a lot of missed opportunities for Baz Luhrmann to really show camera flourishes and to show creativity. Wow. Um, See, that's not a criticism I would have expected with a Baz Luhrmann film. So I guess that was more more of a surprise that it wasn't as creative or as flourishing as it could have been. Right. Interesting. Um, So I thought it, I thought it was okay, but I just thought it, it was a missed opportunity to really put his, techniques to use now so. my understanding is they mix in soundtrack jay-z and a lot more hip-hop style music music to it did that work from a music standpoint i mean did it was it well and it, i think there again kind of like moulin rouge used like a virgin from madonna and used mm-hmm. all these like random songs that didn't go with the time period at sure. all it was very right. anachronistic knowing going in i knew they were going to use things like jay-z and i'd mm-hmm. heard that and i just don't feel like it was used very effectively. Hmm. Um, not that it was bad. It wasn't bad. It, it worked, and it, but it just, I expected more of that. Mm-hmm. Or So it almost sounds like Baz Luhrmann didn't go far enough for you no, with his traditional exactly. style. That's interesting because actually a lot of the reviews I've read are, you know, it's like almost 
mind numbing for the first little bit. It's almost so over the top. And, but then it gets very traditional film later on in the film goes. And just, I've learned a lot of mixed reviews. Right. I'd say this is probably one of the more divisive films I've seen reviewed out there lately. And for me, it would have been better if he would have kept the jarring camera angles, kept the crazy. Yeah. (laughs) If he would have kept that all the way through. Interesting. So it would have, it would have made more of an impact on me. So but it's it's not a bad film. I feel like, you know, granted, I guess it's not a beloved book of mine. I mean, mm. I did read it in high school or middle school. I read the Cliff Notes in high school. So, yeah. But if, you know, I if you like the book, then I think you'll like the movie. Now, if you love the book, mm. will you love the movie? You might be a little more critical of it. I think it. that's the thing. And yeah. I think a lot of it, from what I've heard a lot of the reviews I've had, I think I've heard, I think a lot of people are too married to the source material. And they're not uh, willing to let the movie kind of stand on its own. I see. And so that's would kind of be my critique on their critique, I guess, but it's, it's a fair movie. Um, and I think the reason it hasn't probably done better is because there's not enough, you know, bang for your buck, I guess, but the the acting's, the acting's solid. Well, let me, let me, let me ask one more question here about, uh, another film that you saw. So Greg Gatsby, you're kind of, I think it's not a bad film, but it wasn't anything to write home about. Not, not extremely uh, outstanding either. So you also saw now you see me. Yes. Which we talked about, I think, in one of our news sections a few, maybe a couple months ago, possibly, just because I, I kind of am intrigued by films about magic. Right. And so I'd heard this one was coming out. I, again, have not seen it. I know Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. Does it also include Michael Caine? Is my, I think it Michael does, Caine's in as every As well as Morgan Freeman. I think those two are kind of <laughs> staples now. You kind of have to have them in the movie. There's probably some contract agreement that they have to be in every film available being made these I days. I think the Batman movies are done for the time being, and Morgan Freeman's like, hey, I'm going to be in this magic movie. Michael Caine's like, well, why don't I do it with <laughs> the you? The magic movie? That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they decide to do it together again. Okay. So, yeah, I think So tell me, uh, did I miss out by go- not going to see this? Absolutely. I did? Absolutely. Really? Yes. You like this movie? Yes. Oh. I like this movie. Wow, okay. Um, cool. And I would recommend it. So it's not just a okay movie okay I, this is a movie. chris fry recommendation this is a chris fry people recommendation. i gotta tell you now they don't come around very easy okay I, I, yeah I've, <laughs> I've heard that people have been talking to me about that now is it am i saying it's a perfect movie no is it a prometheus in my mind well no but um what i liked about this movie is it it knows what it is okay it is a summer action you know suspense kind of movie about magic okay so you have these things you know these things in mind the cast is good Mm-hmm. Um, but what I appreciate is the story was very clever and it kept me actually guessing a couple of times and hopefully you will not hear too much about it before you go see it because it's one of those things that if you know the end game, it would be a little disappointing. So it is very, a lot of the enjoyment does hinge on some of the secrets or I, ending I and all so. that. Yes. So even though you, you're saying it still would be a good movie, even if you so. did know the real enjoyment of it would come from not knowing those things going into it. Right. And okay. I think the magic to me was, I, I really enjoyed the magic sequences. Um, I think anybody who like, you know, if you don't like magic or you think magic is just stupid, well then you probably don't want to go see this movie. <laughs> I liked it. They, they did a lot of obviously magic tricks and it's set up in three big magic shows okay. basically. And you're kind of wondering how are they going to top themselves? And there are some elements where they kind of reveal some, mm-hmm. how they do some of the tricks, which is kind of neat, you know, kind of like the Penn and Teller version where they like say, Oh, we did this and this is how we did it. You know, they, sure, so right. it's kind of clever. I think the one thing, if I had to say a negative about the film, 
I would say that they throw in a romance in the film between Mark Ruffalo, who plays a investigator. I think it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen it. I think he's FBI. Yes, Mm -hmm. he is FBI. And he has a romance with a lady that is brought in from Interpol from France, I believe, because basically these guys have been doing things that have affected the world as far as their magic. They've been stealing. They basically kind of play Robin Hoods where they steal from the rich and give to the poor type thing. And because they've affected people over in France, she comes over. So they they have to kind of work together. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of a budding romance there. And that, to me, was kind of like... Just didn't work. It was kind of flimsy. Kind of like, you know, I felt the romance was in Company Mickey. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I think they did that was just to kind of satisfy, you know, the couples that were there on a date. So Mm -hmm. so they had a little bit But, you know, if you were to take that out or kind of minimalize, and they tried to do a little bit of um, screwball comedy dialogue between the two of them, Mm -hmm. and that just didn't Uh. work for me. But overall, the movie on a whole, it worked for me. I liked it. I would recommend it. It's it's fun. So that sounds like it may be the only film we've talked about today so far that has gotten a really positive review from you, from any of us. Yes. (laughs) Okay. At least we got something positive that we're talking about today in in, in our episode. So, all right. So that's two films you've seen recently that I know I haven't caught up on. And again, we figured we'd go ahead and get them out there, talk about them a little bit because they may be slowly rolling off the multiplexes in the next couple of weeks. And there's a lot of big movies coming out, of course, sure. summertime here. So we'll have plenty more to talk about in the coming weeks. So yeah, now you see me might've slipped by you as well, but I'll yeah. say if it's still in the multiplex, check it out. Otherwise look for it, you know, soon on DVD or Great. streaming. Let me, let me hit two quick news stories that sure. I just thought uh, uh, were interesting. Let me ask a question to you. And I, I don't expect you to know the answer offhand, but I want to see if this resonates with you. Okay. If you were to think of classic, classic, 80s sci-fi films hmm. that you should never try to make a sequel to. Hmm. Is there is there any that come to mind? I'm talking classic, Chris. This is sci-fi movies here from the 80s. Classic See, genre. Just, We've actually even mentioned this film earlier in our discussions about After Earth. Really? Yes. Huh. I love putting you on the spot, and I love the dead air time on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, too. That, this that's is, this amazing. is awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I feel like the... Our childhood, the 80s and everything, has been mined so exclusively. I feel like there's just nothing left. Really? Um, what, yeah, about Blade, what about Blade Runner? Oh, yeah. That would be a mistake. Okay. Well, they're working on a sequel. I was, th- was going to say Last Starfighter because it was the only thing I could yeah. think of. Well, all. Last Star- I don't think anybody's really going to cry or, or rant like, and rive and protest. I like that movie, no, but no, I haven't I'm, seen it for like I understand, years. but it's not exactly a taboo no. film for not making a, a sequel to. Sure. Blade Runner, though? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, is it a sequel or is it a remake? Oh, it's a sequel. Oh, wow. It is a sequel happening X number or whatever years later. Huh. Um, they've got writers attached to it. Uh, it's one of the writers, I think, is a guy who wrote the the Green Lantern film that came out oh, a few years boy. ago. <laughs> Yay. Uh, is Ridley Scott attached? Maybe. Uh, yes. Yes, he is. He is attached to direct. It would be a Ridley Scott film. That's at least okay. something on a positive side. Because all I got to say is we've, I've already I referenced know, Prometheus. Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. And Harrison Ford has been approached to reprise his role. Of course, it would be all these years later type of thing. But um, I love Blade Runner. It's a great film. It's not one that I need a sequel for. Now, granted, there have been sequels made of films that I protested when I heard that they were making a sequel. I saw it. I'm like, oh, it was okay. It it doesn't ruin the the, the first film. And I think anybody who says that when you watch a sequel, that's not a good sequel, that it somehow ruins your enjoyment of the first film, I think it's a little overblown. I I Um, think I I would be hesitant if 
it wasn't Ridley Scott. If he had nothing to do with it, then I would be hesitant. But because he took on the Alien franchise and he was like, you know, people wanted me to do an, another Alien movie. And I was like, no. Then he saw, got an idea. The script was developed. He's like, okay, yes, I will do this. I will make Prometheus. And he did. And I thought it was amazing, obviously. You know, Blade Runner, if they were going to do a sequel, I feel like they would have done it by now. Yeah. And so the fact that he's like, you know, maybe they really wanted one because they're trying to mine the 80s, like you say. And I, I trust Ridley Scott to be like, okay, show me what you got script wise. And he's like, all right, if we're going to do it, this is how I want it. Like, so I'm, I'm yeah. trusting, I'm trusting Ridley Scott. All right. Well, so Ridley Scott's your linchpin on this. If he's attached, right. he's directing it and he's got creative control. There's a chance this could be an okay movie. There's, there's a chance. I, right. I am, I am curious. Good. So. Well, now let me flip to another filmmaker that I know you and I both are fans of, at least in their earlier work okay. and what they're planning on doing next. And this one, I, this one, I already feel a lot more promising about than I do a Blade Runner sequel just on the surface. All right. Okay. Um, the film's called Big Eyes. Hmm. And what it is, it's a, it's a dramatic film. It's centered on the awakening of the painter Margaret Keene and her phenomenal success in the 1950s, where she was responsible for painting a lot of these paintings where the characters, the young children or other people, had these really large black eyes. Huh. And it's a true story. I mean, these are film. If you see the, the, the I'm showing Chris the artwork, I kind of realize that doesn't translate very well uh. into a podcast audio format. <laughs> but, um, Margaret Keene's uh, artwork, but the the story is about her legal difficulty she had with her husband, who was claiming credit for her work later on in the 60s. Oh, interesting. It's kind of an interesting dramatic. Here's the kicker, though. Attached to direct it, Tim Burton. This Now, this has got me excited, and I'll tell you why. Because before you got to who directed I'm like, I don't see Alan being excited about this. No, no, but no Tim, Tim Burton directing this. The reason I'm excited is because I think it's time for Tim Burton to make another more grounded movie mm. because he has been so much in the whimsy, whimsy, the, <laughs> the, the, the franchise, the popular pop culture films. I want him to make something more grounded. I loved big fish. I did too. And even though big fish had, it's definitely it's whimsy, fantastical elements to it in the core, the scenes that actually took place in modern day, uh, with the father son relationships were really well done. Right. I want to see more Tim Burton grounded in reality films every once in a while. This one is a period piece. 50s and 60s, so that hmm. gives a little bit of flair where you can be a little creative with it. But it doesn't have any supernatural stuff that's going to get him in trouble. I don't think like so. Dark now, do. it could be the artistic side of things with it being the creative process and right. painting could have some interesting creative elements to it. Sure. Um, here's another reason I'm excited about this film. Is the, Helena Bonham Carter playing the artist? No. No. Okay. Uh, Amy Adams. Oh. And her husband, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz in a Tim Burton movie. That okay. actually is grounded in reality and okay. not based on for some uh, action figures or anything like that or old sci-fi film. Hmm. I think this has got real potential. So I'm very interested I, in this film. I like Christoph. Well, maybe this will be a chance for, it sounds like he may be playing a bad guy. But well, he's playing the husband and supposedly the husband and wife, like the husband claims credit for actually helping make these paintings and the wife's, you know, supposedly the artist and they go through a huge legal difficulties and battles for it. So I don't know if it's a good guy, bad guy thing, or if it's more of a dysfunctional family thing. I don't know, Mm. but uh, I think it's interesting. I'm very, very curious about this film. Very much looking forward to seeing it. Uh, Supposedly Kate Hudson and Thomas Hayden church were attached to play the lead roles at one point. Hmm. I, think they've made upgrades in both categories there. So that's good. Um, (laughs) Then it went to Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Reynolds again. I think they've made an upgrade here. Amy Adams, Christoph Waltz. Very excited about that pairing. That should be a lot of fun. 
Should huh. be an interesting film. With What's the, else. Is that is that coming out this year? Uh, I think it'll be next year. I think next it's in production year. right now, so okay. I can't see it being any earlier than 2014 14. coming okay. out. Yep. So something to keep our eye on, though. Sure. I I'm a huge fan of Tim Burton in the 80s and early 90s. I think Big Fish was a great film. I love Ed Wood, mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands, the original Batman film, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, all those classic films in yeah, my library. I'd say Big Fish library. was the last film of his that I liked. Liked, yes. Yeah. Uh, Dark one. Shadows, we talked about. Not too crazy about that. Yeah. Um, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory didn't really work for me either. Just a lot of films. Or Alice in Wonderland, I did, did not care Frank for. No, I didn't. Okay. Um, I actually heard some good things about that okay. one, though. So, yeah. yeah. Um, overall though yeah he's been very he's been a lot more missed than hit sure. the last 10 to 15 years so it'd be nice to see him try something a little different uh, okay. after all this well Chris I think we're to the, about to the end of the show we always like to wrap up at least you and I both give one recommendation of a film that we think people ought to check out whether it's either something a little overlooked whether it's something maybe it's been a while since you've seen but more importantly, something you can get your hands on pretty easily, whether it's online streaming or whether it's through, uh, you know, Amazon or iTunes or whatever, you know, which just about every movie nowadays you can get through some online capability and watch at home at your own convenience. Sure. So, Chris, what's your uh, recommended film for us this episode? My recommendation is going to be a film that's relatively new. It came out in January of this year of 2013 so it's relatively new it has been available on itunes for a while that you could purchase or stream it but it's now on netflix and that's how i got to see it um upstream color ah yes yeah that really is a fairly recent film so it's already on netflix now yes wow and uh it's the second film by shane carruth he Mm -hmm. was the guy who made primer which we've talked about a little bit on the show and he also helped ryan johnson out with Looper, as yes. a, I believe he was a co-writer, maybe. He's kind of a credit. consultant writer thing on the whole time travel thing, because Primer is a very time travel, very deep, very uh, complex time travel movie. Very well done. Yeah, it's yeah. a good movie. It's just, yeah, you really got to pay attention. <laughs> you absolutely do. Yeah. And this movie, Upstream Color, it's hard to say what it's about. Okay. Um, it's basically individuals sometimes are, they basically become hostages and they get a little brainwashed. And the way in which they are done that involves apparently like scraping off things from leaves and bugs and making them swallow them. And then they do all these odd tasks and you're not really sure why the people are doing this to them. They mm-hmm. just kind of are. And it's, it's a very, I mean, if you thought primer, primer was hard to understand, but you kind of knew it was about time travel. Right. Well, time travel <laughs> in general, you get heavy in the time travel movies. It's going to be a complex movie anyway. Right. It sounds like this is more of a, it's, it's just hard to hip, wrap your head around what, what it's about. What it's about it's and very going abstract. For. It's kind of to me like if David Lynch and Terrence Malick were merged and made a film. Whoa. Because it is shot beautifully. There are a okay. lot of really cool scenes of nature. And sometimes there are some upsetting scenes of nature. Mm. <laughs> and there are really cool shots of out of focus people doing things. Like there's, the shots are just Beautiful. Okay. And Shanka Ruth, he is apparently a really, really, really big control freak, kind of like Terrence Malick, where he shot, edited, directed. He stars. He's one of the two main stars oh, in the really? movie. He apparently uh, actually wanted to distribute the movie as well. He's very controlling over everything about his movies, hmm. which is good for him because he can do exactly, make the exactly type of movie that he wants to make. Well, he doesn't one, have studios like telling him what to do. One clarification I should make. I don't think it's technically possible for Shane Carruth 
and Terrence Malick to be merged <laughs> because one of the other will somehow battle and consume right. well, the it would other. Be David I, Lynch and Terrence Malick. Oh, David yeah, Malick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 David Lynch and Terrence Malick. I just don't think it's possible for those two to coexist in the same environment. <laughs> I think one's going to absorb, consume, see that. kill the other or something. I don't know. So, <laughs> But it's, it's very interesting to see. This is his second film and kind of, I think you can tell certain aspects of it. Some of the shots and everything are a little bit more polished and he had a little bit sure. more money to work with. Yeah. Um, well, and primer is one of those films. It didn't set the world on fire when it came out, but it has built a much stronger following over the years as sure. more and more people talk about it. Right. So it's one of those where, I mean, primer was done a good while back. It wasn't yes. like just three or four years ago. Right. It was probably early two thousands, right? Uh, 2004. Okay. So it's been nine years. Right. So he definitely took his sweet time building up, and it's uh, one of those you know, movies for this that one. is so tightly constructed. It is confusing, but it's tightly constructed. I'm surprised he hasn't just taken a boatload of cash and remade it. Hmm. Because I think it, exposing it to a wider audience, having it in mainstream theaters, which hmm. to my knowledge, Primer never No, hit it never did. So like, I think it would do really well. But, you hmm. know, for whatever reason, because maybe he doesn't want to, it hasn't done it. So Upstream Color, for those science fiction lovers, for people who... Like movies that are a little bit more experimental, different, mm -hmm. I definitely recommend uh, Upstream Color. Okay, very nice. Upstream Color on Netflix. So yes. if you are a Netflix streaming customer, it's available for you right now. No extra cost. Very nice. Um, so my film is one that we actually feel, my, my recommended film, it's one we actually screened at our film society in within our first couple of years, I believe. Okay. Um, but I think it was before we started recording this podcast, so we've never really talked about it. Okay. I may have mentioned it in passing. Uh, Never Let Me Go from 2010. This is Mark Romanek is the director. It's based on, off of a novel and it's starring Keira Knightley, Carrie Mulligan, and Andrew Garfield. And really it's the three of them. The first half of the film is basically them as youngsters. We have some young actors playing their characters in the first little bit for a while. And then we get to see them more as uh, full-grown adults for a majority of the film after that. I'm not going to go into spoilers. I mean, although it's very odd to say that this film, that's a uh, somewhat of a period piece and it's a very heavy dramatic film, is technically a science fiction film. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But again, I'm not going to explain why other than all I'll say is that these characters along with other kids in this school and in this environment that they grow up in are very disconnected from the rest of the world. And for some reason they have a short lifespan They're yes. They have a purpose in life, right? But, and that purpose causes them to have a much shorter lifespan. So coming to terms with that, coming to realize why that is coming to realize how that affects one another's relationships. When you know that time has become all of a sudden a lot more precious, mm -hmm. uh, is just a fascinating film. I love this film. And I feel like it's, which is a good reason you're suggesting kind of an underseen, film. very underseen, forgotten about it. It made very, very little money. Um, it got, when it came out, there was some Oscar talk about it, but it never materialized. I tell you though, I, th I think not only is it a great film, I actually thought the performances were really strong. Keira Knightley, not a big fan of, I thought this is one of the best things I've seen her do sure. uh, in, in many, many years. I thought she was strong in this. Carrie Mulligan, I really liked. She's great. She's great in everything I've seen. There's no exception here. This is my first exposure to Andrew Garfield. Um, you know, this he, was before Spider-Man. Before Spider-Man, before The Social Network. Right. This is the first film I saw him in, and I was really impressed. And I think this may be the kind of performance that really got him the attention for the bigger roles he got later on. But those three, the, the friendships and the, the relationships they have, the, the fact that there is this science fiction-y element to it, but yet the film is, doesn't spend a lot of time on that. You just know it's there 
and it does control their actions to some degree. But yet, man, it's just a really, really good film. Mark Romanek has not directed many films at all. I think, in fact, all he's directed, if I'm right it's in one saying. One-hour photo, right? One-hour photo he did. That was with Robin Williams years ago. That was probably 2002. Okay. Uh, before that, it was all music videos. Gotcha. He is a big stylist. Oh, yeah, he's done tons of music videos, really, really good music mm-hmm. videos. Some of the better ones that you would imagine. That's, that's been his responsibility. He did One Hour Photo uh, in 2003, and then he did Never Let Me Go in 2010. And that's been it. Hmm. Visually, it's a beautiful film. I mean, just you look at it and just... It's one of those where every, almost every shot is just a really brilliant shot to, 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 to watch and examine more. So I really like the film. I think it was criminally underseen, criminally under, um, un, un, not given enough attention. So I hope everybody goes out there and uh, checks it out. I don't think you can get it streaming on Netflix. I think it is one of those iTunes you'd have to rent or something or Amazon. But it's definitely worth the three, four bucks to rent it for a night and check it out. I wholeheartedly endorse it. So Chris... We kind of started out on a little more of a negative note with the film, but what I've seen us do through the progression of the episode is we've gotten more positive we with our, 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 our sharing. We're ending in a good place. We started out with After Earth, which neither of us can really recommend. Uh, we got The Company You Keep, which still not a great film. Chris is a little more positive than I was, but I'm still having a hard time recommending it. Mm-hmm. Then we got into some good movie news and you talking about Great Gatsby and How You See Me, which sounded very positive. Absolutely. Got some good possible films to come down the pike. I'm a little nervous about the Blade Runner sequel, but if, mm-hmm. if Ridley Scott can put his magic on it and make it work, who knows? And then a couple good recommendations with Never Let Me Go and Upstream Color, ones we recommend you check out when you get a chance. So that's going to wrap up our show for today. Uh, we'll be getting back together again very soon as we talk about some future films. We're getting into the summer months, Chris. So there's going to be a lot of big CGI overblown spectacles to review. Uh, I know that Man of Steel is coming out soon, which I'm nervously anticipating. Uh, I will say that my expectations are probably higher than they should be. And I'm afraid I'm going to get let down. So we'll see what happens with that in the coming weeks. My expectations are unfortunately high due to Michael Shannon being in it. Right. So I'm afraid we may be setting ourselves up for some disappointment. I think we've got to get to the point where anytime a big spectacle franchise movie like this that we're looking forward to comes (laughs) out, we've got to find a way to lower those expectations because I think we go in and get too pumped up about it. Um, (laughs) Plus there's just a lot of other good films down the pike too. And we're going to try to make sure we get some of the lesser known, smaller films over the summer as well, the best we can. So if you have any recommendations for us, films you'd like to hear us talk about, uh, future recommendations we can make uh, to the listeners, please let us know. You can reach us at TheMesh.TV's website. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV. You can go to the website. You can post comments there. You can send us requests. You can also go to our Film Society website, which is FootCandle.org, and there's a place to reach out to us there as well. Either of those two sites, we will get your emails, we'll get your notes, and we'd love to try to incorporate them in a future episode best we can. Plus, we always love to hear feedback from you on our film reviews. And I tell you, I still think the best way to do that right now is probably through Letterboxd. Letterboxd, When you say letterboxd.com, that's the word letterboxd without the last E in it. Just letterboxd with a D at the end, dot com. Go and look for Alan Jackson. Look for Chris Fry. You'll find us. You can follow us. You'll see every time we post a new star rating for a film we saw or when we actually just see films. And occasionally we'll try to put in some comments as well about our thoughts. And we'd love to hear your feedback and comments uh, there as well. So for Foot Candle Films, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us talking about movies. 
Chris, take care. You have a good weekend. All right. Take care, guys. See you in the ticket line. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.